Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I'm so happy to have you here with us today. We have a delightful guest, Terry Tucker, and I think you're really going to enjoy all the things that he has to say. So welcome, Terry. Emily, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Oh, that's great. You have such a fascinating background. The uh, negotiation for SWAT team negotiation. SWAT team negotiation. Thank you. It just slipped my mind when I started to say it. It just sounds that Wow. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds really cool. <laughs> yeah, usually your next door neighbor is not a SWAT team hostage negotiator. In that, yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I haven't had one on my podcast before, so this is different. <laughs> but but that's not all you do. So, <laughs> and you and I were just we were talking a little bit beforehand about how really the kind of main purpose is for us to help people, and that's why you're here with us today. Is you've got some, I think, really expert advice on on helping people uh, move forward. Yeah, I, I, I remember, uh, you know, I'm old enough that I kind of grew up with Mr. Rogers, you know, Fred Me Rogers, too. Mr. <laughs> Rogers neighborhood. And and I, I heard a story that when, when Fred Rogers died, that his family was going through his effects and they found his wallet. And in his wallet was a scrap piece of paper in which he had written four words, which those four words were life is for service. And, you know, you think about how many lives he touched, how many young people he he helped say, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like or or, or what issues you're going through, you're still important, you're still valuable in life. And, and I, I just love that story because I, I think we should all aspire, you know, to have our lives have meaning in how we serve other people. Oh, that's a great story. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I know after my um, second husband died, of the two that died, I thought, okay, now what do I do? Because we had just moved to Maui, and I just was trying to figure out what to do with the rest of my life. And it it turned out that what I was supposed to do was help people. And I've got a variety of ways now that I help people find happiness while they're grieving, which is People think it's kind of an oxymoron, but I I believe it's necessary, and so that's that's my purpose, and I I like to I like to do that. It feels really good to help other people. It does, and I and I think, you know, people ask me a lot about purpose, and I I, I try not to do it in the singular. I I've, I feel at least in my life that I've had purposes throughout my life that. When I was young, you, you can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall and actually went to college on a basketball scholarship. So when I was young, I felt my purpose was sports, athletics. You know, I kind of ate, drank and slept basketball. And then as I sort of moved into adulthood, I, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954, and I wanted to follow in his footsteps. But he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. But my dad always remembered the stories my grandmother told of that knock on the door of Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us. 
your husband's been shot. And that was 1933. So mm-hmm. when I expressed an interest in following my grandfather's footsteps, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to go to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. But that's the life my father wanted me to live. That was not the life I felt I was supposed to live. So I ended up waiting. My father was dying of cancer when I graduated from college. So I had a choice. I could have said, sorry, dad, I'm going to go blaze my own trail or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do. So I spent several years in business before my father died and then eventually followed my dream. So I felt, you know, at one point in time, my purpose was to be in law enforcement. And now is, in all honesty, I'm probably coming to the end of my life. I've been battling a rare form of cancer for 11 years. I kind of feel my purpose is to put as much goodness, as much positivity, as much motivation, as much love back into the world as I can. So I, I think, you know, purposes can change throughout your life. And, and I think we need to be to be open to those changes when they present themselves. Absolutely. And the, the people that get stuck are the ones that have the most problems. And I, I think one of the things with listening to podcasts can help with is people go, oh, I could do that. Or maybe I could try that too. And to open things that they might not have thought of before. Yeah, exactly. You know, we we tend to pigeonhole ourselves that, you know, this is the only thing I can do or this is the only thing I'm supposed to do. And and I'm I'm just not sure that's the case. I, I mean, it certainly hasn't been in my life. And I think a lot of it has to do with with following your heart, you know, following what you what you feel is important in your life. I mean, we're we're we all have unique gifts and talents. You know, we're we're not all the same. And I, for one, am very glad that we're not all the same. I mean, think how boring life would be if we all were all exactly the same. But so many people I found in life just kind of live a casual life. And because of that, their goals, their dreams, their ambitions become a casualty of sort of that unplanned living. And there's a there's an entrepreneur by the name of Ed Milan, and he talks about the four types of people in the world. He said the first group are the unmotivated. And he said that's that's the vast majority of people in life that you will encounter. He said the second group are the motivated. Pretty pretty simple, kind of a low-level thing. If I do this, then I will get that. A lot of people live very happy and successful lives just being motivated. He said the third group are the inspirational people. Inspiration coming from two words meaning in spirit where if you're inspirational, you move people with your energy. And then the fourth group he talks about are the aspirational people where people want to be like you. And so, you know, I, that, I always strive for the aspirational part. You know, I, I'm not anywhere close to being there yet, but can you imagine the impact you would have on other people's lives if you were an aspirational type of person? Oh, that's true. You just made me think about the, the people I know that I would consider aspirational, and I'm so grateful that they're in my lives because watching them is is so inspirational to me to want me to do more, do better, do significant, whatever it is that, that comes up. Uh, I love that, those four categories. I think that's that's really quick, or quick. <laughs> I don't know where that word came from. I think that's really good. <laughs> I know um, I can remember 
many years ago, there was a song that came out. And I was trying to think of the name of the singer and I can't, but it was called, Is That All There Is? And it was kind of a haunting melody. And she said that over and over again in the song. And it made me start thinking then, uh, you know, looking at my life and saying, you know, where I am right now, is this <laughs> is this where I'm going to be forever? Is this all I I can do? And what what really is out there for me? And it, it, it the the song actually has kind of floated in my life several times when I feel like I'm starting to fall out of sync or might be getting stuck on something, and it makes me think, okay, I need to reexamine what's going on here and see what's best for me and those I love around me at at this point. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and and that sort of self reflection is is important for for all of us, you know, to do and. You know, I, I remember reading a book by the name of um, Do Hard Things by Steve Magnus. And he he talks about in his book how, I don't remember if it was a psychologist or a professor or what it was, but he did an experiment and it was mostly with younger people. And he basically put them in a room and the only thing in the room was a table and a chair, no no windows or anything like that. And the and they were not allowed to have anything with them, no devices, no cell phones, you know, iPads, anything like that. The only other thing in the room was a buzzer. And if you pressed the buzzer, you got an electric shock. And the the results of his research were that 67% of the men shocked themselves and 28% of the women shocked themselves because they were so ingrained with you know, okay, I got to send this text, and you know, uh, uh, who who responded to me? We don't we don't take time to be self reflective. We don't take time, and I think the the important thing that came out of that study was that we should all, regardless whether we're young, middle aged, old, whatever it is, spend five or ten minutes every day just sitting down. And, and I'm not talking about meditating or praying or anything, but just be alone with yourself. Because I think so many people aren't. They're they're uncomfortable. You know, we, your podcast is about grief and happiness. You know, when people are grieving, they, they want to distract themselves. They want to do other things. You know, I, I, I got to get on the iPhone. I got to get on the iPad. I got to do. And they don't spend the time. They don't do the work. You know, there's that old saying that says time heals all wounds. Well, it's not really the time. It's the work you put in during that time that actually heals the wounds. And part of that work needs to be spending time alone with yourself and and let your mind go wherever it goes. You know, if you're thinking about your childhood, let it go there. If you're thinking about what you're having for dinner, let it go there as well. But be comfortable being who you are. And, and part of being alone with yourself is I think that self-reflection. What, what am I, what am I doing here? Where am I supposed to go? What, what is my purpose in life? And by spending time, you know, not all involved in the world, but just with yourself, a lot of times I think you come to the answer to that question. I think so too. I I teach journaling. I'm, I'm in the middle of teaching a class in that right now. And I just think that's invaluable for that because it, it, when, when you just sit and think about something uh, with me anyway, it just kind of bounces around in my head and I don't get real far with it. But when I start writing it down, there's, there's something about, realizing more, seeing more. 
And I, I think it's really effective. I've got so many journals in my house, and I've got different kinds of journals for different purposes. And most of them are uh, a little composition book that, uh, like we used to use in school, because they're inexpensive and they've got lots of pages with lines in them. So <laughs> I fill them up. And it, it helps me so much because things will come out with that that don't come out another way. Julia Cameron wrote The Writer's Way, and it's a, a book really kind of on creativity, or, or The Artist's Way. There's two books. The Artist's Way was the one that she, she did this in. And she suggests that every morning writing what she calls the morning pages. And with the morning pages, you write three pages, three full pages from top to bottom without stopping at all. You, you don't really take your pen off the paper except for to turn the page. And it's it takes a minute to get in the habit of being able to do that. And usually the first page with me anyway is not worth much. But by the time I get to the third page, I'm really having interesting things coming out and realizations that I wouldn't have had. I know I'm not taken the time, as you said, to just really explore what's going on. Yeah, I mean, journaling is such a, a powerful thing. If you think about, I was, uh, I, I, there's a, a program called Masterclass where people get on and kind of give a, a an online class. And I was watching the one that was done by Doris Kearns Goodwin. Oh, who's, I love her. <laughs> she's amazing. And she was talking about, I mean, she's written books on Theodore Roosevelt, Lyndon Baines Johnson, Teddy Roosevelt, and Abraham Lincoln. And she said, my my sources were the the diaries, you know, the journals that these these men kept. And, you know, in those journals were their their fears, their hopes, their ambitions, their aspirations and, and what was going on in the world. And you could really build a book around, you know, what they were feeling. And, and people don't really do that much anymore. You know, they don't spend time spending a few hours or, or even 10 minutes, just write, here's what happened today and things like that. And, and here's how it affected me. And you're right. Things come out when we, when we put stuff down on paper. I remember when I wrote my book and I, I don't know if you had the same experience. People were like, well, how did you write your book? I said, well, I had two rules. I said, number one, I, I made a, a promise to myself that I would write at least one page every day, Monday through Saturday. And the second rule was I would not edit anything until I had the first draft done. You know, and there were days that I sat down and wrote absolute garbage. And then the next day you would sit down, oh, you would write something a little better. And then maybe garbage the next day. And then maybe a little, but you you sort of put it all together at the end and you're like, okay, that's going out. That's going out. Oh no, this is good. I'll keep that. And it was, it, it was just a real simple way of eventually, you know, writing one page a day. I mean, you think about it over a year, you know, you have almost three page, 300 pages of of things that maybe want to go in a book. Maybe, maybe that's not going in a book, but you have something that you've created. And I think it gives you an opportunity to, you know, that that creativity, you bring things out that like, where did that come from? You know, I wasn't thinking that or I didn't know what was going on with that. But all of a sudden it's there on paper and it's like, oh, maybe I should give that some more thought or some more time. Yeah, that's. I find that things just pop out on the page that that wouldn't I wouldn't have been able to speak, or they wouldn't have just automatically have come to me without that process of writing. 
I, I love Doris Kearns Goodwin. I heard her speak once. And oh, did you? Okay. Yeah. Oh, she's fabulous. And she told about the writing of her book, The Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys, which is a really thick book. And it's fabulous. I learned so much from that book, not not just about the Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys, but she she said that she was able to write it because the families liked her writing so much, how how in-depth she went and with the details and stuff that they they offered her. She was the only person they offered all the diaries. Wow. And she used those diaries to write that book. And the book is fabulous. I highly recommend it because you, you just see a whole different side of the whole family as, as real people. Because uh, I, I think people look at people like icons when they've been a president or something like that. Sure. But you can see them as as people by reading it from the perspective of what they were writing in their diaries. And she's not quoting the diaries, but she's able to to draw their story out from the diaries. From yeah, yes. Yeah. And, that, and she talked about that in the master class about how she she wants to to rely on on you know you writing a diary that's first person that's what you know John Kennedy wrote as opposed to another book that said something about Kennedy in it she wanted that first person account because she felt that the books were richer they were deeper they were really as you say showing people as a person not as the president of the United States yeah yeah that's that's so much more interesting you know you can you can kind of see people from a distance but not really know what's what's who they are yeah what's what's in them what what drives them why they make the decisions that they make so i i just i i love writing journals i started writing a diary in in uh 7th grade did you okay and kind of went for I, I actually found it once we moved to to Maui. I thought we'd gotten rid of most of what we own, but I found one my diary, my first diary from seventh grade, and I thought, wow, that's pretty interesting to look at how my brain worked then. Well, think of the legacy that you're leaving to your family. You know, mm-hmm. when 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 you die, here, you know, here's what I was thinking when I was in seventh grade and you know, as an adult and, 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 and you're right. And I think those are, those are probably be fascinating to your family, if not for other people as well to look at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really think so. Oh, it's fascinating. I, I strongly encourage that. I think it's, and it's a good way to find your purpose in life is by writing. I know that happened that way with me for what I'm doing now, because I am, I am a writer. I teach writing at the university level. Uh, I've retired from that, but I teach it online and they keep inviting me back to teach online. Good for <laughs> you. They, they like my class and I love teaching it. I just love the connection with the, the students and really feel like I'm making a difference with them. Absolutely. So I've, I've written for many, many years. So after Ron died and I found myself here, I, I made new friends in the process of coming here, but I still felt kind of basically alone living in the house by myself and trying to to figure out what I was going to do. And I think if I would have sat there and just let things float around in my head, I could have gone what my mom used to call stir crazy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but uh, the process of writing things down, I kept discovering things as I was writing. And the more I wrote and the different ways that I was choosing to write, 
the more I learned about me and what I wanted, what I needed. And I thought, you know, the way I'm writing, I think would really help other people who are dealing with grief. And so I didn't know anybody here who had anybody die except for my husband. So I uh, put a notice on Meetup and said, if you want to uh, get together and write about grief, come on over to my house. And they did. It was amazing. (laughs) We had a really good group. We started out once a month. And after a couple of months, they said, can't we come every other week? Once a month isn't often enough. We want to do this more. Because everybody was finding that that process of of writing like that was therapeutic, just made them feel better. It helped them get some of the chaos out. Because it, it's not uncommon when you've lost someone to feel kind of not right in the world, you know. And by by writing about it, you can really explore those things. And they, they got great benefit out of it. So that's that's what led to all the work that I'm doing now is is writing. So I'm I'm a big advocate of, of writing. That's great. Yeah, everybody doesn't have to to write to write a book. Just write for yourself. Proof. Yeah, yeah. Learn about yourself. I mean, and, and if you can do it that way, you know, writing it down and go back and read it. Who knows what you're gonna, you know? I don't remember writing that. I don't remember saying, you know, think of that. And yeah, yeah. I'm I'm surprised sometimes when I go back over the things that I've written <laughs> and go, really, I said that because uh, <laughs> that was good. You know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, like I said, when when I was writing my book, it was, you know, you'd write a page that was, oh, this is, there's no way this is going to make it in. But then the next day you wrote something better and, oh, okay, you know, and, and it, it it just improves. Like I said, I mean, you know, I, I said I've written one page a day. A lot of times it was, you, you write 10 pages in, in a day or something like that. But that was my minimum. I will write at least one page a day. And it's it's amazing. Having never been a writer, you know, enjoyed writing, enjoyed reading, but never been, never written a book. Totally different experience. So what motivated you to write your book? Really, it was two conversations that I had. I, I, I've had many jobs in my life. One was I was a, a girls high school basketball coach and I had a player that I had coached who had moved to Colorado where my wife and I live. Uh, with her fiance and the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was excited that she was living close and I could watch her find and live her purpose. She got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents, and then living that reason. And then the other conversation was with a young man who was in college who reached out to me on social media. And he said, what do you think are the most important things that I should know to not just be successful in my job or in business, but to be successful in life? And Emily, I didn't want to give him that, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. I I didn't want to give him the, not that those aren't important. Those are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if maybe I could go deeper with them. So I spent some time and I wrote some notes that eventually kind of had these these 10 thoughts, these 10 ideas, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, you know, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So part of my cancer journey was in 2020, I had my leg amputated because of the cancer. 
And during the three to four month period where I was healing after that amputation, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how the book, the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And that's how the book came to be. Wow. That's fascinating. I'm going to have to read that. Usually I, I try to get a hold of all the books beforehand when before I interview somebody, but it, it didn't happen this time, but I'm going to read it now. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, it was great experience. You know, I mean, and I mean, you're obviously you teach this, so you understand it. I didn't I'm like, OK, I've got this. What do I do with it? You know, and, and I was like, is it is it worth trying to get it published? Is it worth, you know, trying to, to get it into the hands of other people? And, you know, I, I have a very strong faith life. And, you know, people always ask me, I'm like, yeah, I think it was, I wrote it, but I think it was inspired by something much bigger than than me. And so I gave it to a couple of friends and I'm like, look, please be radically honest with me. Is, is this any good? Is this something you think I should try to publish? And uh, they, they came back and said, yes, absolutely. And you should. So I, I wrote a book and and that was, you know, I've never had a baby in my life, but that was the closest I've ever, I've ever come to having something that, that I actually created in life. And I, I was fortunate to get with a, a not-for-profit publishing company that had editors. And I remember the editors would suggest, you know, you should change this or you should expand that or take that out. And, and, and I was almost indignant, you know, how dare you, you know, this is my, this is my work. But again, I mean, those are the experts. Why Why would I be involved with them and try to tell them how to do their job? So I, I remember I always used to say, well, let me sleep on it and, and I'll, I'll decide in the morning. And, and I think 99.5% of the time the next morning, it was always like, yeah, you're right. Okay, I'll expand this or I'll take that out or, or whatever they suggested. And I think it's a much better book because I relied on their expertise. That's that's often true. I've had uh, I've actually written five books now, one chapter in another book. So that's a total of six books and with different editing things each time as I went along. And this last book that I'm writing right now, I have finally found an editor who is spectacular at what they do. And there are three of us that are going over not just once, but several times through the whole thing and having interesting conversations about things. They don't just change it arbitrarily. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. I have learned more about writing in the process of editing this book than I did in any of my uh, graduate classes that I took in writing. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's isn't great. It? it really yeah. is. <laughs> when you when you get somebody good and they're they're not not easy to come by, but yeah. it's it's really good this time. And I think um writing your story, like like you you wrote your story. I wrote my story in a way that it's it's got me in there, but I'm not the point of the book. And it sounds like your book has you there, but you aren't the point of the book. And right. I think I think that that's that's really valuable. When when I first started um, trying to find books after Ron died, after my other husband died, it, it was a while back, and there weren't that many books published out there by publishing is so different now with all the self-publishing and stuff. Uh, but then you couldn't get that many books that had much to do with grief. And 
I was kind of disappointed in that. So this time I thought, well, I, I'm sure it's better now. So I started uh, reading grief books, and I would say 90% of them are memoirs. People are mm. telling their story about what happened to them. And it, I'm sure it was incredibly valuable to them for getting the whole story out. Uh, and and dealing with it in writing. And I, I highly recommend it. I think it's a really good thing to do. However, there's only so many of those books that you can read. You know, and I, I didn't find them particularly helpful to me. Okay. So I, I think it's wonderful when you can use what your experience is or has been to help other people find out about their experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, when I got cancer, I, I think, and, and I, have, I have a very rare form of melanoma that appeared on the bottom of my foot. It had absolutely nothing to do with sun exposure and, and things like right. that. But it, it, I remember, you know, I, I had this callus break open on the bottom of my foot and, and I, I was coaching basketball at the time. And I, so I didn't think much of it, but after it not healing, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took a, an x-ray and he said, I think you have a cyst in there and I can cut it out. And, and he did. And, you know, he showed it to me and neither one of us were concerned about it. But, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology. And then two weeks later, I get this call from him. And as I mentioned, he's a friend. And the more difficulty he's having explaining to me what's going on, the more frightened I'm becoming until finally he just laid it out for me. He said, Terry, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have this rare form of melanoma. And I, I know I went through all the stages that we associate with grief, you know, at that time. I mean, it was initially, you know, denial. I, I can't possibly have cancer. I've done everything right in my life. And, you know, then you kind of get mad. And our daughter was in high school at the time. And, you know, you start bargaining with God, you know, look, just let me live long enough to have her to see her graduate from high school. And, and then I got down, certainly a little depressed, but then I, I just got to a point where, you know, it's like, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace the suck for lack of a better word. You know, I mean, this is something that I, I don't like the cards that I've been dealt, but I'm going to have to play these cards to the best of my ability. And I, I mean, when I was diagnosed, melanoma was a death sentence. Uh, I've lived 11 years with it now. I, I don't I don't know how. I mean, there have been times where I should have died. After I had my leg amputated, I found out I had tumors in my lungs. And about eight months later, my oncologist was, he showed me the CAT scan from back then. And, and, and I have no medical background. I don't really know how to read a CAT scan, but I kind of was like, well, that doesn't look like it's supposed to be there, you know, kind of situation. And I had these big tumors in my lungs and I had fluid all around the pleural spaces. Mm. And I remember looking at my oncologist and saying, how was I alive? And he kind of smiled and shook his head. And he was like, I have no idea because you shouldn't have been, mm. which, you know, said to me, I guess God's not done with me yet, you yeah. know, and whatever time I have left, you know, I always talk about when I die, where I die, how I die way above my pay grade. Don't spend a lot of time worried about the dying part. Everybody's going to die, but not everybody's really going to live. So spend your life living your life you know, figuring out, as we were talking earlier, your purpose in life mm -hmm. and live that purpose. And I think if you do, death is not nearly as scary as, you know, it is for all the people who never live their purpose, never find their purpose in life. And 
when it comes to their time, they're, you know, they seem to be the ones that want to go kicking and screaming, you know, give me another month, give me another year. Yeah. Well, you had plenty of time. Unfortunately, you didn't do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that That's so beautifully said. I, I know I feel more now like I, at peace, I think is, is the, the way I say it. It's, it's not that I have cancer or have something like that, but at, at my age, uh, a whole lot of friends are already gone. All my family, almost all of my family is already gone. And I could worry about it or I could be helping people right now with what I'm helping them with. And I feel a lot better about doing that than I do about worrying about what would happen and that sort of thing. I mean, that's that, that's sort of the good thing about death. We all get it once. You yeah. know? I mean, it's, it's an equal opportunity uh, situation for us. And I, I remember hearing a, a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that went, when you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. Oh, wow. That's what I want. That's what I'm looking for. Wow. You know, um, Don't get me wrong. I'm not looking to hasten no. my demise yeah. in any way. But like I said, death is not nearly as scary for me because I believe I live the purposes for which I was put on this earth to do. That's right. Wow. That is so fabulous. I appreciate you so much being on my podcast today. I, you've given people a whole lot to think about. And I'm, I just really enjoyed talking to you. Very, very glad that, that you came. Well, Emily, thanks for having me on. I, I always say it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and have a conversation with them. And if that conversation makes a positive difference in somebody's life, then today's been a good day. That's right. <laughs> Well, um, all the information about Terry and his book are going to be in our show notes so that you can get your copy because I'm sure you're going to want to read it. And next time, I'll have somebody different that you can listen to, and I'll look forward to having you come back then. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.